So we'll go ahead and look at Psalm 93. It's a very short psalm, just five verses, but there's a, a good bit of truth in it that's important for us to see here. Uh, starting off with poetic uh, devices or things that you might notice from it. It's, um, if you want, it's also on the prayer sheet. The passage there is on the prayer sheet. So you can look at it there. Um, so verse 1, what sort of picture do we see in verse 1? Okay. All right, so this idea of being clothed with majesty, um, clearly if God doesn't have a physical form, he doesn't wear clothes like we do. So what, what's that picture supposed to be pointing us to, that he's clothed in majesty? Okay, that he's glorious, right? So let's, let's expand that a little bit more. If we say someone is clothed with honor or strength or something like that, um, like Proverbs 31, she girds herself with strength, right? The idea is not that her clothes have strength written like a label on them or something like that. It's just that she that... Yeah, it's a characteristic yeah, of her. Yeah, okay, good, good. And then in verse 2, we have this idea of a throne being established. Um, what... What's that pointing us to in verse 2? Or uh, what, what does it represent when we say your throne is... Okay, it's eternal. Good. And, and what's going on when we say the throne is established? What are we ultimately saying? Mike? Okay. Yeah, the God is established, right? Rules and race, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, again, God doesn't have a throne per se, but to the extent that, um, what does it say? Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. God has created these things, and we can see in them a picture, or a representation of the fact that he rules and reigns, and uh, it's certain and it's long-lasting, even eternal. So, then we see in verse 3, um, we see another image. What do we see in verse 3 particularly? Yeah, floods have lifted up their voice. Now, do floods have a voice? No, because they're not people, right? They do make noise. And so that's, you know, it's the, almost the idea that the, as the waves crash, they're shouting against God's rule, right? Um, and yet, we'll see that God is above them. And then verse 5, we see this last um, uh, sort of picture here. Your testimonies are confirmed and holiness befits your house. What? What that? What is that pointing us to about God? Okay, God's entire existence is holy. What else? Norma. Okay. Yeah. So what God says is testimonies. They're fully confirmed. So there's no question about what He said. Okay. They come through His Spirit. Good. Um, holiness befitting your house. What, what, other, what other ideas come to mind in connection with that? Well, I don't think we would see it as the church in the Old Testament. We do see God's dwelling among people in the Old Testament, anticipating dwelling with the church, anticipating dwelling with all his people in the future state, right? Um, so maybe anticipating the church, but not the church yet. Um, but when it befits his house, um, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't you say house would be representative of himself? 
if we're talking about you know symbolism. Okay. Would it be uh, holiness befits you? It being okay. You know, worshiper of God. Yeah, and uh, there's also this connection of like house of Israel or house of David or all those. So like all of God's people and their descendants, because they're connected with God, should be characterized by holiness because God is. Yeah, yeah, so tying all those ideas together. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what repeated thoughts do we see here? I think there's two main ones. Okay, the floods have lifted up, okay. So we have this idea of floods or waves or the sea. Okay, God commands everything, and if we were to sort of put a phrase after that, because he is the, the ruler, the king, yeah. So there's this idea of God is the eternal king, and then there's the idea of the chaos of the world below him, but because God's the eternal king, he's above all of that, okay? Yeah, definitely, he's mighty. What, what kind of psalm is this? We'll come back to the structure in a minute. What kind of, praise? Yeah. It's interesting, some of the things I was looking at said that if we were going to classify it a little bit more specifically, they would see a category of it being kind of a kingship psalm. So if you want to turn over to Psalm 47, just because it's been a really long time since we looked at that, and we might look and see if there's any parallels there with that psalm. Who'd like to read Psalm 47, 1 to 4? Psalm 47, verses 1 through 4. Okay, Paul? Yeah. We'll make you read the whole thing. No, go ahead. Well, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. The Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under his feet and nations under our feet. Chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. So, how's God described here? Yeah, so exact same idea that we see there in Psalm 93. And then the response in verses 5 through 9. What, what's the response? Who'd like to read verses 5 through 9 for us, if you would? James, go ahead. God has ascended with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing the praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful song. God reigns over the, the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. For he is highly exalted. Okay, so what's the right response then to God being the king? All praise goes to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the nations sort of submit to God. And so, uh, so we have this idea of a, a psalm that's kind of a psalm about God being king. Um, if you go back to Psalm 93 and then maybe look on the same page or the next page over, you see in Psalm 95, verse 3, the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Um, and then we have the idea in uh, Psalm 96, the Lord is coming to judge the earth. 
Psalm 97, verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Uh, Psalm 98, verse 6, Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. And then Psalm 99, 1, The King, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. So all of these are a little bit different. You have what we might call royal psalms as a subset of some of the psalms, and then you have kingship psalms. The royal psalms are kind of about, here's a David or one of his descendants ruling. Some of those we might even tie in with anticipating the rule of Christ. And here, these ones that we just looked at, 47, 93, 95 to 99, those are these kingship psalms where it's saying God is king over everything. And so... Um, that's just, uh, again, it is definitely a praise psalm. One of the interesting things about this one that we looked at just a moment ago with Psalm 93 is that it's not really directed toward the people other than just here's what's true about God. A lot of them say praise the Lord, and this one is just sort of just a list of statements about God. Hear them, pay attention to them, all of those sorts of things. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. But what truths, what truths do we see about God in Psalm 93? He's yeah. God's eternal. And God is eternal as the? King. As the king. Okay? And God is eternal as the king over the world because? His throne is established. His throne is established. It doesn't necessarily state it here. You know, from other places in the Bible, why does God have the rule over the creation? He's the one who made it, right? Okay. Um, so God is eternal. God is exalted. God is over his creation because he has made it. Um, and that last part is, you know, tied in with other scripture, but at the very least we see he's a king exalted over his creation. Um, what, what do we see about us? Is there anything about us in this psalm necessarily? Yeah, but that's still saying God's testimonies are confirmed. So there's not really any direct statements to people. It's just all these statements about God is the point I'm trying to make, right? Um, now, given the context of all these other psalms that are similar, all of which say, sing for joy, praise God, all those sorts of things, I think that we can say we should praise God, but it really emphasizes here this, uh, this fact, just the fact God reigns eternally above the crashing waves. Okay, So let's talk about that just for a moment. Let me try to tie some of this together. Uh, it's not a real long psalm, so it'll be a little bit shorter tonight, but I think it's still good to consider. So I think that we need in this psalm, as we read through it, the proper response is that we should praise God, marvel at Him, be amazed at Him, This our God who reigns eternally above the crashing waves. Uh, I think we see a really clear example of this in Mark chapter 4. So if you want to turn over there for just a moment. Mark chapter 4, probably a familiar story, but in Mark 4, verse 35. Mark 4, 35. It says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go, that's the disciples, over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. 
Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do not care that we're perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What's the proper conclusion? He has to be God because Psalm 93 makes it clear the one who is able to rule over the waves and the sea is God himself. And so going back to Psalm 93, uh, we see first of all that God reigns in majesty from eternity. And even using a word like from kind of skews it a little bit because eternity doesn't really have a beginning or end. So to say that something is from eternity is to start to get at things that we can't really comprehend. Uh, but this idea of him reigning in majesty from eternity, uh, I think we definitely see this in several other places um, in the Psalms, just that God is the ruler, even in these other sort of uh, kingship Psalms that we looked at a moment ago. Um, we also see parallels uh, with, with verses 3 and 4, which we'll get to in just a moment. But uh, this fact that God reigns... Um, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, doesn't really leave room for argument about where things came from. It just says God made it. And that's how the Bible starts. God made it, and so God's the one who oversees it, who rules not just over the waves, but as we'll see as well, over all the peoples of the earth, and that is because He is the Creator. The fact that He is the Creator... Um, necessarily then means that he is the ruler. Now, that doesn't mean that he's an arbitrary ruler. You might, you might give an example of, uh, let's say you're a little kid and you make a sandcastle on the beach and then you decide to kick it down. Well, why can you do that? Because it's the thing that you made and so you have some sort of authority over it. Um, if you kick it down just to kick it down, that is probably a mark of being childish, not really a mark of being a strong and powerful ruler, right? <clears throat> and so in the case of God, though he has the right to destroy what he has made, we also see that set alongside realities like his mercy and all those sorts of things. Very clearly in a place like Romans 9, but uh, we've also seen in the book of Isaiah, which I think Paul is thinking about when he writes Romans 9. Because God's the creator, um, you can't say to the Father, uh, uh, to a certain extent, um, if it's his child, you can't say, well, you know, here's all the ways that you need to do this instead because it's his child. The child belongs to him, right? And we saw that, I believe, in... Let me look here really quickly. Um, let's see here. Forgot to write down the reference for this, so I'm I'm looking here. Mm. Yeah, I think it was a little bit earlier in Isaiah, which we can uh, I can look that up later. But basically, the idea was this: um, the mother knows her child, the father knows his son, the potter knows the thing that he has made, the sculptor knows the thing that he's created. And so they all have authority over it in their own way. And God even more so because he's not just doing it with individual pieces or individual children or individual people, but he's doing it with everything in the whole earth. 
In contrast to God's rule over all things from eternity, we see this picture of the floods in verses 3 and 4. The floods rise up against him. The waves, the sea, the floods, the oceans, they rise up against him. We see, uh, I think, a parallel idea going back to Psalm 77. The waters saw you, O God. They saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters and your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So God's sovereignty over all the things of the world, particularly the oceans and all of that, the the elements and all of that, uh, is clearly seen. We see it also in Psalm 89, verses 9 and 10. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab, that like one who is slain, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And so, in some passages, the emphasis is almost exclusively on the sea, like the natural elements. In other passages, the emphasis is on God ruling over the nations. And then in Psalm 89, 9, and 10, it's kind of both, back to back, or even almost using them in parallel. And so, the reality is, if God is the creator over everything that he has made, he's also the creator over everything that dwells on the earth. And so, I think the clear imagery here in verses 3 and 4 ties in with Jesus um, stilling the Sea of Galilee. But at the same time, if God is king, God is king not just over the waters or over pieces of land, but God is king over all the nations who live on them and move on them. And, uh, and so, I think this then looks forward to uh, what we see, for example, in the book of Revelation, It also looks back to some of the pictures that we've seen in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 17, for example. Let me read that for you real quick. Isaiah 17, verse 12. Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff in the mountains before the wind or like whirling dust before a gale. At evening time there is terror, before morning there are no more. Such will be the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who pillage us. And then even in Isaiah 57, uh, verse 20. Isaiah 57, verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And then there's some other imagery as well in uh, Psalm 29 that points to these same kinds of ideas where it says, The God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters. And then verse 10, The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. So, whether, as in Psalm 93, the literal is the floods, the oceans, the seas lift up as though their voice Whether, as in Psalm 2, it's in Isaiah, it's nations lifting up their voice like the floods and the waves of the ocean. In both cases, God rules over all, and God stills the sea. Jesus speaking the waters of the Sea of Galilee to be calm, and then Jesus coming to reign and subdue the nations in the end times, also by that same power. And so, in contrast to the seas, which sort of go back and forth, and James uses as a picture of uncertainty, Um, God is established. He's mighty, 
His testimonies are confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. And so, uh, and that's where I think we really see that, that contrast pulled out. Um, James says, don't let the one who asks wisdom from God be like a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, like the surf of the sea driven in wind by the wind and tossed. Paul talks about in Ephesians that there are those who are, who are led astray by every wind and wave of doctrine that comes along. And so, uh, again, God is certain in contrast to the uncertainty of you know, taking a boat out on the ocean. God is certain in contrast to the instability and fickleness of human beings. God's word is certain. God is characterized by holiness from the beginning even to the end. And so, as we look at all these things together then, I think the right response, even though it's not stated, is to praise God who reigns eternally above the crashing waves. But before we jump too quickly to the praise part, which really is brought out in Psalm 95 through 99, I think this psalm is just all these specific statements about God to get us to just stop and think. If God reigns, if God is established from eternity to eternity, there's a whole bunch of things that flow out of that. Passages of the New Testament like Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or I will never leave you or forsake you, or things like that. Uh, when we think about those in the context of the first few verses of Psalm 93 and the last verse, if we just sort of park there and think about it, it should increase our confidence in God and who He is. When we look at verses 3 and 4, and we have this picture of the floods and the waves and the oceans, God is both in charge of the literal floods and waves and oceans, and the nations who rise up against Him, and oversees all the uncertainties of our life that in other places are compared to waves and floods and oceans. And while the main focus here is on the actual ones, I don't think that we should exclude the reality that God is in charge of all of those things. And so I think, you know, even though the goal is to get to the point of praising God, and we see that clearly in these next few psalms, I think, uh, I think here it's just sort of stop, consider who God is, and, 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 and meditate on who God is, because that will increase your trust in God, and that will decrease your fear about all the uncertainties of life. And that's, uh, that's where we tend to get stuck, right? Um, there's a book I read a long time ago when it, the title of it was When People Are Big and God is Small. And a passage like Psalm 93 sort of reverses that. God is big, people are small. God is big, the waves aren't as big as they seem. God is big and God is great. And so all of these things that when we're zoomed up close and they're right in front of us seem like things that no way in the world could God work them out. God reigns up here, has forever, and will forever. And when you set the problems of our life against that, we see that it's, uh, it's not something that we need to be so concerned about.